everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the Food and Wine Variety Show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a great weekend because spring is in the air. I think last year spring was in the air, and then we hit a big wall called COVID, and uh, everything turned dark and gloomy, but I think we're seeing, I hope, we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Tunnel. We got Joe. We got Kamala. We got, uh, a, you know, a COVID relief bill, and I'm feeling relieved. Okay, and I'm going to jump in here because one year ago today, none of us knew what was going to happen. It was dark and a scary time, but I really feel like the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter and brighter. And as we spring forward today... Yeah. We look forward to a healthier and brighter year. And with that, don't forget to fix your clocks, know what time it is. And we have got such a great show. You want to hit it? Okay, we've got a great show lined up today. Of course, we're going to be joined by Mitch Berliner from Central Farm Markets to find out what's going on there. Uh, the Schilling Canning Company down on the waterfront is excited to launch their Bold But Bubbly program in honor of Women's History Month. They'll be highlighting women in winemaking, both past and present. Sarah Quintero Schilling is bringing on the bubbles. I can't wait. Uh, pandemic pop-ups and ghost kitchens are all over D.C. and nationally. Little Prince Pizza wasn't the only thing that Schlau Restaurant Group opened in the last year. We're going to find out more about that. Uh, Michael Schlau and Alex Levin are going to join us for their year in review. Um, a year ago, the Hilton Brothers had, I think they had seven or eight restaurants going, but they had to make some decisions about their bars and restaurants, and it was pretty grim. But as we said at the beginning of the show, the future starting to look brighter, and Ian Hilton joins us to take us on their, their journey through the, the, the dark forest of COVID and into the light. We're going to hear about that. And the Summer Long Supper Club is a membership dining uh, uh, club. It's a 100% charitable dining subscription program that's banded together D.C. restaurant institutions like Centralina, Sushi Taro, Rosa's Luxury, and more. And they're all designed to do one thing, and that's to make sure our favorite restaurants are still here come summertime. Uh, Co-founder Vinay Gupta will join us and tell us all about it. But first, let's go to Mitch Berliner from Central Farm Markets. Mitch, we got a bunch of holidays and things coming up. Uh, spring is popping. St. Patrick's Day, you know, uh, we've got Passover. What's at market, Tell us Mitch. what's going on. Well, thank you for having me once again. Indeed, uh, St. Patty's Day is right around the corner, and every year we get ready for it. Um, we have a wonderful brewery coming. It makes fantastic beer, Milkhouse Brewery. Um, and you can have that along with Irish soda bread. We have brisket that you can cook and cabbage and do it up. Everybody's Irish. When you say brisket, that sounds like Passover Brisket can also make corned beef, right? Corned beef and cabbage. Got to right. do it. Got to do it. Everybody's Irish on St. Patty's Day. Are the Irish of the Lost Tribe, you think? <laughs> yeah. It's possible. Awesome. A lot of people from Eastern Europe on their way to America, the captain said, okay, we are at Cork. And <laughs> they thought he said New York. And right. they got off there. But no, anyway. I thought he said, hey, there's an iceberg. No. Um, anyway, so um, we have St. Patty's Day, and everybody should be also thinking about Central Farm Markets is a fantastic place to be thinking about spring planting, talking about spring. We have many vendors with huge selections of herbs, flowers, and plants. So keep that in mind, and um, in a couple of weeks, get your gardens ready and come on out and buy. So, Mitch, is it too early to plant now? I feel like. I feel like I want to plant because the sun is shining and it feels like it's time. But when when is the right time to really start planting that stuff? Well, some some things are very hardy and you could plant some herbs now. There's no question. Mm -hmm. But generally, people talk around, uh, you know, mid-April. Um, okay. That's what we're doing at our own house. We're putting in a cutting garden. And so we're going to have most stuff in by mm -hmm. April. Great. All right, Mitch, tell everybody where you, they can find you today at Market. Okay, we have two year-round markets that are open. One is in Northern Virginia at the Church of the Holy Comforter in Vienna. The other one is our flagship market, 
are going on our 16th year in downtown Bethesda on the parking lot of the Bethesda Elementary School. Come on out and support the farmers and local food artisans. Excellent. Thanks, Mitch. And getting Mitch's autograph. Okay. All right, Sarah, Sarah Schilling. Hi. Husband and wife duo that have a great restaurant. We had such a meal there. And you guys, let's talk a little bit about, you know, life and COVID for you guys, because you guys pivoted and not just survived and conquered where others may not have. Tell us a little bit about that. Thank you. Hi, Nikki and David. Happy to be here today. Um, well, it was definitely, you know, I can't believe it's been a year ago, but it was, I think when everything started shutting down, we were at a point where we were starting to launch our delivery service. So I feel like at the, at the beginning, we were a little bit ahead of the game with like having to do takeout and delivery, but you know, it was still very challenging. We, we were only nine months new um, right. and everything was shutting down and we had to pivot just like all other restaurants and um, lay off our staff. It was a, it was a very difficult time, but um, I think with everything, it brought um, room for creativity and we were able to do things that we didn't imagine in the past. You know, we, we created new menus. We did a takeout and delivery. We, we joke a little bit. We think um, the burger that kind of saved our business <laughs> um, because that's when we launched um, the Shilling Burger. Um, and then from there. You know, I, uh, let me just say, that should be the title of the book you guys write. The burger. <laughs> right. Our biography. <laughs> I think a lot of people, you know, will write something similar because whether it was fried pizza. chicken, pizza, we're talking to Alex Levin and Michael Schlau later about their pizza pop-up, you know, this kind of comfort food, easier food, it travels well and people want it right now. Do you know what I exactly. mean? Especially, it just makes them feel better. It's a comfort food. Exactly. And you know, even a year later, when I feel like we're getting to that pandemic fatigue and it's been winter and cold, that's still what people want. You know, you want that comfort. You want to be reminded of a, of a good memory and a good time. Um, so, you know, it gave us that opportunity to be creative and we were able to launch, you know, the, the wine shop at Chilling Canning from there. We were able to launch Amper Sandwich, which is our ghost kitchen. Um, well, let's talk about the pop-up Amper Sandwich, because that's such a good idea. You guys launched that when? Uh, we actually just recently launched it. We launched it in February. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, my husband's a big fan of food puns, so he thought that was the perfect name for a sandwich. <laughs> right. um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's only delivery for now. We, o we also serve it for happy hour on Wednesdays and Thursdays um, in uh -huh. our patio. So it's, a, it's mostly sandwiches and things that we make at Chilling, but it's with the same, um, with the same motto of everything is fresh, local ingredients, um, and it's absolutely delicious. <laughs> And you guys have a fabulous patio, right? So were you able to activate that early on so that you could really serve people year round? We did. You know, when spring came around last year, around April, May, when um, people wanted to get out, we were able to open our patio. You know, where it's, it's a culinary garden. We have lots of herbs and spices out there. Right. Um, it's a beautiful garden. So people enjoyed it. It's, it was a little bit of normalcy when everything was not. Mm -hmm. um, and we were shucking oysters outside. And we remember just the happiness that we, we could see people being happy. It was like coming out of like, um, you know, just being quarantined and being able to be outside for a few minutes. It was, it was a real joy. Listen, I think that it'll probably happen again, but, but before, you know, the pandemic, we sort of took that kind of freedom and, and whatever you want to call it for granted, you know, exactly. and, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I, How could we not take it for granted? We didn't know any different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, now, okay. we, now we do. So now <laughs> March is, International Women's Month, National mm -hmm. Women's Month, and you, um, as a woman in the business, you decided to launch a month-long promotion. Let's talk about it. Absolutely. So we launched Bubbly But Bold. Um, you know, this is a program I'm very excited about, not only because I'm, I'm a woman in the business, but I think it's an opportunity for us to be creative and bring awareness to our partnership with, uh, you know, the wine shop um, at Schilling Canning, but also celebrate women past and present um, and to talk about what women in the industry go through. Um, you know, I, 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 I play different roles in my, in my career. You know, I'm a registered dietitian, but I'm also um, a co-owner of Schilling. And I have had the privilege to be mentored by many, many wonderful women in our industry, but um, there's still a gap disparity. You know, there's, even though the majority of the industry of the hospitality industry is run by, it's, it's mostly women, there's only 5% of women that hold executive roles and CEO positions. Mm -hmm. um, and so reading bubbly, like uh, reading the story of Barb Nicole, 
um, as a woman, as an entrepreneur, as a mom, um, to me, touches a lot of like points in my life. Um, and I thought it would be a, a good way to have those conversations and bring something new and exciting to Schilling. Well, why don't you tell people a little more about the book and what the event is? Absolutely. So we we got a couple of the books. So there's um, it's um, it's the story about um, Barb Nichols life. So we're selling the Can book with our, who she is, because you're expecting everybody just to know. <laughs> I, oh, absolutely. She is um, she is the pioneer behind Booth Clicquot. Um, so it's actually Vuv is um, the name for widow. She was the widow Clicquot. Um, and she is the reason that Vuv is what it is today. You know, everybody knows um, champagne and they celebrate it. Um, a lot of people think you associate champagne with women. Um, and this um, amazing, amazing champagne company, um, the woman behind it um, was Barb Nicole, but there was not a lot of said about her in the past. And so this is kind of a biography of what she had to um, go through and what she and how she was able to create this empire. So we're selling the bottle. We're selling a bottle of Vuv with the book mm -hmm. um, as a package together. And we are at the end of the month, we're going to be doing a panel discussion, kind of like a book club with our with some female entrepreneurs. Um, and we're also supporting Open Arms uh, Housing, which is um, they support a women's shelter, women who are homeless. Um, so we're doing um, a kind of like a drive where people can donate supplies and they can also donate for a meal where we're going to be dropping off meals at, in April for them. Oh, I love that. That's such a good idea. Tell me a little bit that you have Kelly McGarrick's involved with this, a local wine writer. Absolutely. She is going to be the moderator for this event. So we're very excited to have her. Um, and we are likely going to have somebody from the Moet Hennessy portfolio um, come in and be one of our panelists. And, and we're securing a couple other um, an entrepreneur women. Uh, that's exciting. I love that. Okay, so now um, tell everybody about the wine shop, because we you mentioned it, but we haven't really explained. I mean, with the change in the alcohol rules, that really changed how all the restaurants could sell alcohol. And is that where the wine shop came into existence? Absolutely. And you know, the, the wine shop, it's, it's kind of one of its kind. It's, it's virtual. Um, we partner with Moet Hennessy. We only carry about six to seven wines from their portfolio. Um, and the idea was to be able to bring, you know, great wines that really do accompany what Schilling is about, but at a good price point. Um, so we, we wanted to introduce people to different wines that we may not necessarily serve, um, for dinner, but you can have them. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, you're going to tell everybody about, uh, how they can get in on this fabulous women's month package and where they can find you. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. You better spring forward. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Sarah Quintero Schilling. Uh, and Sarah, give us a little bit more information about Open Arms uh, and how people, how the rest of us can get involved. Absolutely. So we're selling our packages through Talk. Um, and on there, you can um, either, you can bring a donation to Schilling or you can um, add a meal, sponsor a meal, and we'll be delivering meals to them in April. Um, Open Arms Housing is a local organization. They're actually a smaller organization in, in here whose mission is to provide housing for women that are suffering from homelessness and mental illness. Um, so they have, they're currently serving about 173 women across the district, and they have a 95% success rate with the residents remaining safe. Um, so it's a great organization to support. Um, so I'm excited to be partnering with them. Excellent. Okay, Sarah, tell everybody, please, where they can find the details of the event and where they can find Shilling Canning and County. Absolutely. We're selling the packages on Talk. Um, so you can also visit our website, shillingcanning.com, if you want more information. And check out our Instagram. We're going to be doing some raffles and some fun events. And you can follow along as uh, my team and I read the book. That sounds like fun. Can we break <laughs> the move while we're doing that too? Yes, absolutely. We have to cheer along with Vuv, <laughs> especially with spring. All right. That sounds like fun. Thanks very much, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. So now we're going to be talking pop-up stuff, pandemic pop-ups and ghost kitchens. We're all over D.C., starting with uh, the, the pandemic. And um, uh, Schlau Restaurant Group was no different. Uh, Little Prince Pizza wasn't the only thing, in fact, that they opened last year. They opened restaurants, too. And we're joined by Michael Schlau and Alex Levin for a little bit of year in review. Um, Michael and Alex, welcome to the show. 
Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about, Michael, you start off about the group and you and your background in all of this. Sure. Well, you know, thanks for having us on. It's been a long time. And, you know, this pandemic has uh, obviously, uh, as everybody knows all too well, has really caused, uh, you know, such considerable uh, need for adjustment in our industry. Uh, the, the beautiful part about our industry is that we're made up of a community of hardworking, resilient, really creative people. And we're not about to allow, you know, a pandemic to stop us. It might slow us down a little bit, but it's not going to stop us. And so one of the things that Alex and Jason and Spiro and all the people at, at the Schlau Restaurant Group, you know, we have restaurants all over and every single uh, jurisdiction that we work with in every municipality had, you know, slightly different rules and regulations. So it was a very, very, you know, difficult uh, time. It needed constant adjustment. You know, literally there were, there were days that um, we would make a decision in the morning based on information that was being given to us. And by the afternoon, we had to change what we were sure. doing and, and pivot and, and change again. And, you know, we were, you know, we're no different than anybody else. And so one of the things that we also found, though, is that during this time, that it was a highly creative time, and that was out of necessity. And so we started doing things like completely geeking out on pizza. You know, Alex got into the kitchen and decided it's time, maybe with just a little of a helpful challenge for me that I said, I want you to create the world's greatest chocolate chip cookie, one that both crispy cookie lovers and chewy cookie lovers will both love. And he was successful in doing that. And, and there's a plethora of things that the group had to do to try to make ends meet during, you know, during the pandemic. And we were successful with some and others less successful, obviously. But Little Prince Pizza, the pop-up has been, you know, something that really has uh, gained some traction. But before you did Little Prince Pizza, you changed Casolare entirely, right? Like you totally Correct, changed. correct. And so what happened there, uh, we thought we were out of Casolare. You know, like a lot of businesses across the country, places were closing, hotels were closing. And that particular hotel early on in the pandemic closed down, closed right. Casolare. And the hotel sold and the new owners of the hotel, there was one local owner that stayed in the deal, a guy named Brian Friedman, and he brought in new partners and incredibly supportive partners. And what they ended up doing is not only giving us uh, an opportunity to, to rethink and reestablish the restaurant there, changing it from Casolari to the Glover Park Grill, but they're also investing in the hotel itself and going to completely renovate it and make it into a new destination. So there's been a bright spot there for us. We thought we were out of that and, and, and we were able to uh, partner with uh, some, some local chefs like uh, Hamilton Johnson and, uh, you know, our GM Dina over there. They, they're doing an amazing job. They just got a great review. And so uh, we're back in the neighborhood. Oh, right. That's in the Washington Post, right? A good review. Correct. Yes. Awesome. Yep. We had a great review from Tom Sietzma. Really, really proud of the team there. They did a great job. Well, that is um, always very exciting, especially since it's really one of Tom's kind of like first reviews, Tom Sietzma's first reviews in a year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it really reads like a review. I mean, I know he's not doing ratings. Um, so Correct. Okay, you're opening up the Glover Park. I mean, you have Nama. You're still figuring out everything. And then you you decide to do this pop up. What uh, It starts mm -hmm. as a ghost kitchen. Right. And um, so well, the, well, the genesis of it, Nikki, actually was that Alex and I, uh, I was in D.C. for a long extended period of time. You know, normally I fly back and forth from Boston to D.C. into our other restaurants. Now I found myself relegated to driving. So it really changed my my work schedule and I would go for longer periods of time to wherever I was. And Alex and I started just geeking out on pizza. And literally, I was we were making everybody eat pizza every single day as we were playing with dough and continuing to adjust. And we started this idea last summer of a sort of pizza of the week idea. We were trying to replicate our favorite pizzas from around the world on a weekly basis. We would call people and try to get stories and do videos and whatnot, just to try to keep things interesting. And ultimately, we decided... Let's do a ghost kitchen that is all about pizza, burger, wings, and salads, because that's the kind of stuff that travels so well, and everybody loves it. It never goes out of style, pandemic or not. It's food we love. So we, we, we thought a pop-up and a, and, a, and a ghost kitchen would be a, a fun idea. Okay. And also, and yeah. Nikki, not only that, you know, for us, you know, it's, it's all about hospitality, too. And it's fun to take great advantage of the different spaces that we have. And you know our restaurants really well. So you've been inside Altistrada and you've been inside 
what used to be Casolare and what is now Glover Park Grill. And you've seen the beautiful pizza ovens that we have there. So it made total sense for us to choose these locations as two locations to basically cover a wide net in the city and be well, able to right. get the most impact. That's what I wanted to get to, because I don't think what people realize when it comes to pop-ups and it comes to a ghost kitchen, it's all about uh, access and delivery ratios, right? Like what the circle of and, that- and also, and also speed. You know, if you right. can't get a pizza to somebody's home within 25, 30 minutes at the most, then you're going to be in trouble. You can't let a delivery take an hour, for example. So not only that, it'll turn to chewing gum. So you know, yeah, we can't let the food die. We need to make sure that the food is going to be, you know, in a in a state that's delicious when it arrives at someone's home. So let me ask yeah, you. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. Ghost kitchens, though, right? Like when you guys first rolled it out, did you want it to be a secret of that it wasn't coming from you? Because like, that's what a ghost kitchen really was in the beginning, right? It was like a commissary and you could order a thousand different kinds of cuisines from it. And you just, it wasn't actually a restaurant. So were you looking to go that route and like not have your name stamped on it? Or were you like, no, 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 we want people to know that it's from us because they trust us. I, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't know if you agree, Alex, but I mean, for me, it was, if somebody found out, great. It wasn't a secret, but we wanted this to stand on its own, for it to be its own brand. It's got its own branding and marketing strategy that's a little different. You know, the interesting part that I didn't really touch upon at the beginning was this pandemic has caused all of us to, when I was talking about adjustment, all of these restaurants across the country, they were built to be full service restaurants. They weren't built to be takeout shops. The way, you know, you might build a Subway, you know, Subway or a McDonald's or whatever it might be. They're built and, and conceived of with takeout in mind. So we had to change the way we were doing things, the way we packaged things. And so the idea of a ghost kitchen, you're right, Nikki, originally it was sort of a secret and it was out a back door of a, you know, of a warehouse or whatever. Right. And so Little Prince for us was really about canvassing the neighborhoods that we could cover and trying to give people that food that I know I certainly crave on a regular basis. I'm like, boy, I wish I had, you know, some wings right about now. And if they can get to my house in 20 minutes, fantastic, you know? And they are delicious. We, but you know, going back to the the delivery component of it or the pickup, we we had to change the way we made wings because they didn't travel well. Mm. Uh, a, a wing that is coated in something or dipped into something and then fried gets gummy and kind of gooey by the time it gets to your house. And so we've ended up doing this double roasted wing, and it stays really, really good. It's got lots of integrity to the skin and a crispiness to it. And the sauces that our team have come up with are just delicious. So, you know, it's that it's that you know, it's that thing you crave. You know, you like I'll get a six pack of beer, pizza, and some wings. I don't do it every day, but when I do it, I want it to be good. Well, Michael, right. here's my question. I mean, has the fact that listen, everybody's been so anxiety ridden, and and you know these comfort foods, you know, pizza and you know good sandwiches and burgers, they sort yeah. of fill a void. You know, when you're when you're stressing. But does that inform anything about the, you know, what you'll be doing with the restaurants going forward? Um, because 100%, David. It's such a great question. And we actually already had started it in our takeout. You know, as we as we creep into, you know, uh, greater occupancy, and Alex can attest to this because he, you know, he he's, a, although he's a fantastic pastry chef, the other half of his brain is all is all about logic, science, and math, you know? So he's constantly looking at products. Well, Alex went to Yale, so there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Could so not he, be the Booty and the B show if we did not say that Alex <laughs> We're all jealous. Exactly. <laughs> so so we, to answer your question, yeah, to answer your question, though, is that we ended up, uh, putting things like that we never had on a menu before. Really, really, really well-made garlic bread, chicken parm. You know, those are things yeah. that fly out of the kitchen now. I mean, they're the, they're the top-selling dishes. Because and people want to be comforted. Yes. Yeah. They, they want to feel comforted. They want to feel, they want to be soothed. There's so much garbage going on in the world. There's so much stress and so much tension. Food has this great, great way of sort of, bringing us back to the table, being thankful, you know, staying connected, even if you're eating it, you know, over a Zoom call with somebody. Um, right. It is it is a really amazing thing that it has this very, very powerful, you know, uh, ability over us. Well, let me ask and one I'll... question before we uh, wrap up. Um, so moving forward, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, thank, thankfully. Um, how do 100%. You... 
And so will Little Prince Pizza stay? Will, uh, you know, how do these things evolve? Do they become another revenue stream? Is that what happens? I think, well, yeah. I think Michael would agree with me in that, that I think that we don't necessarily know what the new normal is really going to be. I think we're going to still see some people that are going to prefer, you know, the dine-in the dine -in experience like from before. We're going to see people that love eating outside. We may be even allowed to eat outside in the wintertime next year. But I definitely believe there are going to be some people, probably a large group of people, that are going to be still very happy to order food into their homes. Absolutely. Takeout delivery is going to be a real thing for quite some time, even after COVID is over. Yeah, Michael, what do you think right. about that? Well, I, I would agree. And the other part I was going to add to that is that by having Little Prince as an alternative, as a second, you know, go-to for our, our, our clients, our guests, it allows us to employ more people, which is really the first reason for doing it. It is another revenue source, but what it allows us to do is bring people back to work that, you know, there isn't a restaurant in this country. Well, maybe there's, there's a few that maybe have done more than during COVID because of their delivery options, but most restaurants <clears throat> have suffered and that their revenues are a fraction of what they once were. And so by, by doing a second alternative, by having another revenue stream, we can bring people back to work. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, one of our primary goals, obviously. Well, that is, listen, we're with you on that. And, you know, it has been our role here with not just Booty and the Beast and my other show, Industry Night, and the list are you on it.com and socially to like amplify that message to, you know, support our restaurants. Um, with that, guys, can you just quickly tell us where everybody can find you? Because we got to take a break. For Little Prince, you can go to www.littleprincepizza.com. That's where you can find takeout and delivery. Uh, we're also available on Uber and DoorDash. Excellent. All right. And, and you can go, you can, and obviously you can go to schlaurestaurant.com. That's the easiest place to list all the restaurants Excellent. there. All right. Michael Schlau, Alex Levin, thanks so much. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be right back. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And uh, we've got an interesting uh, segment here. Uh, Ian Hilton and his brother, Eric, before the pandemic, owned about a dozen restaurants and bars around the city. And then the pandemic hit, and they made some strategic decisions about how to move forward. And we asked Ian to join us uh, to give us kind of an overview on what was and what is, because they're coming back with a roar. So, Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice and your you. dog in the background. Yeah. So, Ian, you know, when, um, you know, the pandemic hit, I mean, we're sort of, you know, doing a sort of year in review. I think everybody is, because it's so hard to believe that it's been a year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you're... Properties are primarily bars, right? I mean, you have some restaurants, but you know, you have all these bars and that took the hardest hit. I mean, restaurants took the hard hit too, but so how did you guys, like, if you look back a year ago, how did you guys look at it and be like, okay, this is what we were going to do. Like, how did you, how did you swivel? What did you do to make it work for you? Well, I mean, the, the main thing is it, it changed on, <laughs> a daily basis right, right. um That's i think I, I think when we first when we first got word you know of kind of what was going down the pipeline i circled june one as okay make it through to june 1 2020 um which seems like well it was a year ago um and you know thought that was optimistic that that would be a, a reasonable time frame and then it just kept going and it just kept going and you know so certainly found ourselves daily um thinking okay well how do we keep the lifeboat on you know afloat um long enough to survive and that you know the everything just it, it literally was a, a daily you know attempt to solve an unsolvable puzzle mm -hmm. um i think the we really said uh-oh um when we got to when we saw that they were kind of we were pulling back again and putting some additional restrictions after there had been a little bit of loosening. So I think it was November time frame where I'm like, listen, we better mothball some things or we're simply not going to have a company to salvage um, right. anymore. So but at what point did you I'm trying to remember there was at some point you initially wrote that like we're not permanently shutting down places, but mm -hmm. we were, you know, for the foreseeable future, we're shutting down. What was it like seven spots like you would yeah. just like, we have to close these yeah was that? 
that was that was uh, November time frame. Maybe maybe October, November. It, it it really all runs together. I'm not trying to be the least bit no, of it. No, no, no. I, I, was I, just know. Yeah. I thought it was earlier. Okay, so in November, you're like, okay, because you're right, summertime, and we had a beautiful fall, so you were able to, you know, remain open and outdoor, you know, and the city was so um, uh, good about, you know, with the parklets and mm -hmm. and the change in alcohol. Was that enough to keep you limping along? It was, um, you know, there were certain places that just kind of lent itself to that, you know, to, to, you know, being outside and enjoying a uh, street read parklet. There were other spots of ours. I, I use American ice company as the, the perfect example of a place that there is no chance that we could have, you know, properly maintained it. Right. Uh, American ice company has communal tables, right. And a very, a very small outdoor. And, and, you know, the beauty of going to American ice company was your group of three would sit down with another group of three and, mm -hmm. you know, three beers in and a plate of swatchos, you were a group of six. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so there, there, we, we tried to take it as case by case as possible. You have to take in, you know, factor in, um, you know, which landlords are being a little more uh, flexible than others. So mm -hmm. a lot of criteria um, went into, you know, really picking and choosing which ones you would be able to sort of keep going and which ones you would have to mothball until, you know, the warm weather hit, which, right. you know, and that's, I'm trying, I'm trying to forget all that. And it's impossible, obviously, when you're being retrospective, but I'm so incredibly optimistic. Uh, it All it takes is really the sun shining, um, you know, uh, a relief package that comes from a government that, you know, seems to have their act together. And you know Lovely. you do you see light at the end of the tunnel, and you assume we're going to continue to step forward and not have any of these steps back, which were real killer. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, no, it, I feel like there's been a weight lifted, and it it all does sort of come together at the same time. You know, spring is here, the sun is shining. You know, the month of February was just you know filled with bad weather, and it was dark mm -hmm. and dank, and you know we do have a new government and they seem to have their eye on the prize and, you know, the um, independent restaurant council, I mean, they just lobbied so hard to yep. make those changes. And it does feel like that, that, you know, good things will come to the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you see moving forward? What, with what you know now, what do you think it looks like for your different properties? Well, you know, obviously, um, you know, the, these, uh, the restrictions in D.C. are still, um, you know, difficult to navigate, um, you know, particularly the, you know, for most of our businesses, a, a 10 p.m. curfew is, ain't brilliant, right? Right. Um, but we've, we've had the good fortune of we did, like, you know, maniacs open a couple places during the pandemic in Virginia. And we see, I, it, that's, that's why I'm probably more optimistic than maybe some of my colleagues, because I see the difference that the the reduced um, or the the lightened restrictions in Virginia, particularly the midnight marker, what mm -hmm. that does, right? Um, and I think DC is headed that direction. I think we'll probably get um, word on that in the next probably week to ten days, right? Um, even if it doesn't come into play right away, uh, I think again having a date that you can circle and say, all right, well at least we're a little bit closer to um, you know being able to operate and what potentially could be a profitable fashion. That's, you know, that's, that's everything right now. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, you bring up a really good point. We were just talking with Michael Schlau and Alex Levin, and not only did they open up a pop-up, but they also opened up a restaurant in the middle of the pandemic and people yeah. were doing that. I mean, we talked to them all year. So, and you also partnered in that outdoor space, Ventura, right? Yeah. So yeah, we actually did open technically three spots because I mean, there was nothing going on at the Kennedy Center. Um, right. We had already gotten, you know, like a like a five year arrangement with them to do to do something at the new Reach um, installment. Right. And they, I just asked them. I said, "Listen, you got a great outdoor space. Can you can we just go use it? You know, for the mm -hmm. summer?" And they said, "Yeah." And that was a real. Um, you know, that was a real bright spot for us because, I mean, it really felt like a safe space for, you know, people to be able to get out, um, you know, with a, a very small group of, you know, we went, we went, we went. you know, we kids, kids, dogs, you know, it, like, it seemed like real life for about uh, an hour. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was, again, I've, I've had these so many bright spots in the pandemic that, you know, just gave me optimism and, and made me think I didn't need to, uh, you know, try to go to med school or law school and find another profession. I, I felt like, you know, this is, this is what I do and this is what we do and I, I'm, I, it'll come back. And what did you open in Virginia? 
Uh, so we opened Cafe Colleen, which is um, very similar to, uh, I shouldn't say that, but you know, it's, it's, another, it's a French spot. So it's a French yeah. restaurant. Um, it's a little neighborhood bistro that happens to be you know, pretty close to where I live. Um, so it, that has been another tremendous bright spot for me because I go there every day and I work carry out or right. I host or I pour drinks or, you know, it just kind of got me sort of re-engaged in, in sort of everyday, um, operations of a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we partnered with a brewery in Sterling called, um, Solace and we built, uh, you know, we took over the old Mad Fox space in Falls Church and did like a brew pub. And that's the one that really gives me a lot of uh, optimism because I see what reduced restrictions and if you have a wide open space and some outdoor, how things could come back very quickly. Well, well, let me just jump in because we asked Michael Schlau this question. Having gone through the pandemic and and having to be, you know, like a pirouetting ballerino, you know, just to, to mm-hmm. make changes and move quickly and all that, has what you sort of experienced and learned over the past year, is that going to change your approach uh, and I, I hope to God things are going to get back to what we remember as normal. But if it does, to how you'll, you know, how you'll you sort of recast your approach to restaurants and bars. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are a few nuggets that we're going to take from, you know, how to operate things a little more efficiently. Um, I, I think people are getting very accustomed to not having uh, the helicoptering server over them, right? Uh, I think that's going to be a hard thing to sort of relearn. So I, you know, I love the uh, the ideas of uh, different different um, technologies for touchless ordering. I was going to say the food tech really. I mean, so all that food tech, you know, the QSR codes and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, those all those different companies were really trying to make inroads in the restaurant industry. They were kind of big at some of the like big bars and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the pandemic has been a home run for them because, yeah. you know, now we all understand how it works and you're yeah. finding it at, at, you know, fine dining restaurants. Now there's mm-hmm. not, you know, your menu is on your phone. Yeah. So I mean, I we, that's here to stay. I mean, we have a demographic that skews a little bit older at Shea Billy Sued, for instance, mm-hmm. and, and it, and at Colleen to an extent. And, I thought that I was going to have a hard time when people would walk in the door asking them to, you know, to shoot a QR, QR code on their phone. Most of them are like, oh, yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a great thing. I mean, you're sitting there with a backlit menu in the palm right. of your hand, right? right. Having, to, having to worry about, you know, taking, a, you know, 12 hours to make a menu change and do a reprint. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a little thing, but um, I think there are some things that all of us as operators learned that, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to keep around. So now what's the rollout? When do you see um, like what's happening in DC? When can we look forward to some of the places here sort of opening? We are going, we have a goal of having everything opened um, by the first week of April, frankly. Wow. Um, So a couple of them are going to lag a little bit, um, but we, we think we're, you know, we, we, we did a very, I don't want to say we did a good job. We did a job of keeping as many core people as we could um, with the company over, you know, over that we had them, they weren't doing things that they were typically doing, um, but we were able to keep them employed. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, now we can sort of put them back where they belong or where they want to be. Right. Um, that, that is, you know, hugely helpful. Cause I think um, there is going to be, it's going to be difficult to find, um, you know, to find good people. Again, I, I at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought it was going to be, real easy to find you know all the talent in the world when it all kind of ended and i think a lot of people decided they were going to go do something else Um, well it's going to be interesting to see yeah because pre-pandemic we were you know kathy hollinger and i would always talk about the fact that like one of the biggest problems in dc and it was a national problem too was that there wasn't enough staff for all these restaurants there wasn't enough back of the house there wasn't enough front of the house and uh the question will be with the new normal what will that look like um, Ian Hilton, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so thrilled to hear that um, things are looking bright and shiny for you. Um, can you just tell everybody where they can find us or one website where we can find everything about uh, the Hilton Brothers? Yeah, sure. Um, our, you know, our, our sort of overhanging uh, website is h2-collective.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then every all the other restaurants have their their individual URLs. And I did want to touch on because I know I we did, we got into the, um, we got into the, ghost kitchen thing as well and we've been doing a burger concept out of several locations so uh, what's it called? 
Tell us what it's called. G Burger, G E E Burger.com. Um, we're doing it out of five different kitchens right now. So it's, it, it, that's been fun too, right? Right. So. All right. So everybody should look that up too. Ian yep. Helton, thanks so much for joining us. David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And we want to tell you about a really, really great idea. You know, the restaurant uh, industry across the area has suffered during the pandemic. And a gentleman named Renee I mean, Renee I feel Kupka, like we've been talking well, about I know, the restaurant I mean, industry the whole show. <laughs> they, they, I mean, some, some pivoted and did okay. Some went fetal and stuck their thumbs and they're plenty in the middle. But uh, a guy named Vinay Gupta, and we're going to find out about him, and uh, a, a buddy of his came up with an idea called the Summer Long Supper Club. We're going to hear all about it, but it's 100% benefit to the restaurants, which is great. Vinay, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, first of all, what's your story? Why, why restaurants? Why do you care? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, so we've got actually uh, a wine business that we've been uh, percolating and working on for the last five years. Uh, we're developing something called a session wine, which we don't have to get into here, but we're launching our product this spring. And we thought, you know, we can use our marketing dollars either for awareness, or we can also try to do something good for the industry that we want to be a part of. So, you know, we, we've, been born and bred in Brooklyn. This is where we live. This is where we're going to build our business going forward. And we thought, you know, a core tenant of our company is what we call Dolce, or not what we call, but what we like to say Dolce Farniente, which I'm sure you've heard is that Italian phrase, you know, the sweetness of doing nothing. Um, and that idea of slowing down, that idea of concentrating on the small things that often get overlooked, but really matter in life. That's critical to us, and what's critical to that are restaurants. You can't really have, you know, a cafe in the piazza if there is no restaurant. And so, you know, for us, it's it's critical to sort of step up and help that industry when they're really at the lowest point that they've ever been. Right? This is this is the time that they need help. You know, kind of, you know, in a in a completely, you know, clear and um, you know, blindingly obvious way. So let's talk about the the concept because you launched it initially in New York, and so how did you guys put it together? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. So I think you know we were thinking how can we help? We're a small startup, you know, we have X amount of funds. We could either donate those directly to the restaurant, or let's see if we can try to use those same funds to create a program or a platform where we can help channel all this, you know, kind of feel good, do good energy that everyone has in New York. Everyone wants to do something to help, but they don't know how, right? So if we could create a platform to channel that, we could take a little bit of money. And instead of just donating that, we could take that same money and do a lot more good. Um, and so that's, that's essentially the idea that we came up with. And then when we were trying to pick a specific thing to do, well, we were thinking, you know, the problem with the restaurant industry is there's a lot of risk, right? So uncertainty. When you go to a restaurant, you eat and then you pay. Right. And that's like fundamentally a very risky proposition for the restaurant. And so we said, well, let's just switch that. Let's have you pay and then you eat. So if you pay ahead of time, then they can buy the supplies. They can hire the staff. They can do all that stuff with the certainty of knowing that they will or have already been paid for the services they're about to render. And so, you know, and the idea just came very simply. I think we were looking at what uh, Chef Grant is doing over in Chicago with Alinea and Next. And he sells tickets ahead of time. It's a very simple, you know, proposition. Right. And we thought if you could sell a ticket for a meal, why not sell, you know, tickets for the entire winter, you know, and get, you know, kind of restaurants through this hard patch. And that's what we've done in New York City and then in D.C. now, um, since we started a little bit later, we're selling, you know, a month and a half, which is still well, a really good chunk, right, for to give restaurants the mental and the financial security that they need to say, hey, yeah, we can really start coming out of survival mode and start, you know, doing really, you know, cool and fun things like we love to, and you know, have some really, you know, really uh, uh, great uh, experiences lined up for our diners for the summer. Well, I have to say this is smart marketing on your part too, because uh, you're helping out, uh, you know, better restaurants like Alinea, Centralina, Rose's Luxury. And when all this is over, they're going to know all about your session wine too, which is great. <laughs> no, not bad at all. And I will say that choice was, 
kind of more serendipitous and lucky than, you know, kind of, as you're saying. Um, no, I don't mean it was craven at all, but I think yeah, it's no, smart. No, 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 I think, I think it's a fine point. I mean, I, you know, it's just interesting enough. This is a, a really good point to kind of get into, you know, who's hurting the most in the pandemic. You wouldn't think a restaurant like Roses or Centralina or any of these other places really need help, right? No, I totally disagree. Yeah, I do think you would. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'm, so happy. Here's the thing. I'm so happy you're saying that. Wait a second. In DC, I mean, there is a, a crazy food community. And if you look at all the writing going on in DC, all the food coverage, I mean, on, on every channel, anybody, all the social media, like anybody who covers what's going on in the DC food and wine scene, I mean, the, you know, it's all been about supporting our restaurants, whether neighborhood food drops, gift cards, etc. It's a, that is DC. DC knows that the restaurants are struggling and that message has been amplified. Also, you have the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington that has been, yeah, you know, beating the drum on that really yeah. loudly. But this is a great, this is a great idea. I, just, you know, how much volume have you generated for the restaurants in New York and the restaurants in DC? Well, yeah, has- so we're doing, uh, so we did one point, uh, I have to look at the final count, but I know we cleared 1.2 million. Seriously, nice. Yeah, for, for New York, we, we cleared 1.2, so we're probably going to be doing around, I, honestly, I have to look at the final numbers, but something like 60 or 70,000 per restaurant for the 16 restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, in DC, we have a similar number per, in terms of the amount of funds that we're getting to each restaurant. So. DC, it's going to be 65k per restaurant, um, which is nice. You know, that's really the point was really to get a nice big bolus oh. of you know, yeah, a big chunk of, of money. So, um, so, so how, yeah. How does it work for the layperson? So, if I'm ordering, how does it work? Like, how do we do this? Let's walk people through it so that they understand. Um, yeah, sure. So it's pretty straightforward. Basically, what happens is, you know, if you had one, if we had one restaurant, let's say Centralina on its own. They wouldn't be able to do this because you couldn't buy six weeks. I mean, you could do it, but it would be, you know, a little bit difficult to eat six weeks of meals from any restaurant. Uh, so we put together, you know, this is only possible because we were able to get six to work together. And essentially what happens is the full set of diners is divided into six groups. And so group one gets Centralina on week one, group mm-hmm. two gets Centralina on week two, and then you just rotate through the system. And so what's that? what's nice is that that actually helps both parties, you know, you as a diner get something new every single week, mm-hmm. but the restaurant doesn't have to do something new every single week. They right. cook the exact same meal for six weeks, which means, you know, they can do something that, you know, would typically not be possible because it's too expensive, right? And they can make great margins on it. So so it's a really, it's a win-win situation for, you know, for everybody. But in terms of like logistically how it works for you, it's pretty magical you know, you sit back and relax and every week on your designated day, either a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, you know, your food magically shows up at your door um, and, and all you have to do is, is heat it up and eat it. Well, so to that point, let's talk about delivery because um, not people, you know, what if like we don't live right in D.C. We're outside the city limits. So does that still work? And, you know, third party and all that. Is, I mean, it's there's so much. There's so much dirt there. So how are you guys handling that? That's an incredibly important question. So, don't tell her that. I mean, dude, <laughs> you don't know me, but like, I am full of really good questions. That's yeah, that is like, I could talk about this one topic for like, for hours. Well, we got two minutes. So let's we got hear two minutes. Let's do it. So I just want to start by saying, I think it's a travesty the way that DoorDash you know, Grubhub, all of these organizations make their money, especially at this time. Right. I would highlight that when DoorDash picked a charity or a charitable action to take in this period, in the pandemic, instead of helping the restaurants, right, or bringing down their fees, which they only did, they only brought it down from 30% to 50% when they were forced to, forced by, to. by the local governments, okay, mm-hmm. they chose to donate to Sesame Street. That was their charitable, you know, contribution. Why? Because they wanted to find a nice, you know, something they could put on their ads in the Super Bowl. Right. So let's not even, you know, that organization, the level of, you know, they're basically just parasites on, and you know, taking advantage of the fact that no one can go anywhere. Everyone has to buy takeout and delivery. 
Um, and, you know, and there's a ton of, of business coming through their pipeline, which wasn't there before. And they decide to, you know, just take full advantage and IPO off of it. So, right. you know, for us, you know, and so, so you know, I think just to be super clear for everyone listening, you know, if you buy food from a delivery app, you're supporting restaurants, yes, but 15% of that money is going to delivery, the delivery app. And so you're supporting big delivery more than anyone else. That 50% chunk is a huge hit to a restaurant. You know, mm -hmm. if you're in the industry, you know, margins are one, two, three percent at best, right? You right. take 15% off of that, you know, that's just unforgivable. And then even they take 5% if you're doing takeout. So if you call them and you even go pick up the food yourself. I will just say we are handling delivery ourselves. Okay. We created our own delivery network from the ground up, mm -hmm. built it up ourselves. It was, you know, a huge endeavor, but it was worth it because now, you know, not only do we still give hundred percent of the money that we raise to restaurants, uh, but all the money we, we collect for delivery fees goes to our drivers. I love it. All right. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Of Tell course. everybody how they can sign up because those memberships are going quickly. Yes. Yes. So you can go to, uh, well, okay. So, so I have a little bit of bad news on that front. Um, we did sell out okay. uh, on Friday, uh, this Friday. Right. However, however, we do have some other things in the works. Okay. So if you are still interested in participating, follow us at, at Summer Long Supper Club DC um, on Instagram. And we will absolutely have, you know, some, some other ways coming for you to support the restaurants that you love. Excellent. Well, we love supporting restaurants. We do it all the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, our listeners. I want to remind you once again to fix your clocks if you haven't done it yet. And as we said throughout the whole show, it has been a year and we really did a review of how uh, restaurants and people in the food, wine and hospitality industry made it through here. They didn't just all survive. A lot of them thrived. And that was based on their ingenuity and their ability to contort themselves in ways to make their businesses, uh, you know, survivable and thrivable. So thank you as always for joining us. Um, please wear your mask hand sanitize and your whole body dip your whole body in hand sanitizer that sounds kinky but let's do it okay you still have to do the right things and socially distance even though there is a light at the end of the tunnel thank you so much for joining us everybody please have a delicious week